Hey everyone, welcome back to our podcast edition. This is Claire. And this is Cece. And hello friends to our headline news edition of season 3, episode 12 of Sundition. We have three very interesting stories and even better takes as usual, so let's just get into it. So our first story is that Biden has been restricted from expelling migrant families to countries that would persecute them. So since the beginning of the pandemic, many migrants have actually been prohibited from coming to the United States, even for deportation proceedings and asylum seeking because of public health concerns. Obviously, COVID. However, an appeals court questioned the point of this law, considering that there are now vaccines, more data, and better COVID protocols to keep everyone safe. The judges did allow the rules to still be in place, but they did place an amendment stating that the expulsion cannot be to countries where the migrant families would be persecuted. Now that this law, famously called Title 42, has faced contest, many more migrant families would be able to seek asylum, meet with asylum officers, and go through the deportation proceedings that they were not allowed to do uh, so because of the pandemic. And although Title 24 was actually implemented under Trump, Biden has kept this law in place and still continues to enforce this law, especially for single adult migrants. Ever since the new ruling was made, there has been some conversations at the Department of Homeland Security to get rid of Title 42 permanently. The biggest situation when Title uh, 42 was actually enforced was this past September. I don't know if you guys remember, but thousands of people from Haiti came to the United States to seek safety from gang violence and natural disasters. But essentially, they were all expelled without being given the opportunity to explain Um, like to seek asylum basically within the administration there have already been calls for it to end um title 20 uh title 42 but the white house has publicly claimed that it's actually up to the cdc to decide and review the law in april and technically even though the rule has been in place with exemptions for children traveling with adults many families have been given asylum here in the u.s So it's kind of this, like, this law follows precedents where, like, it's put out, it's enforced for some things and not enforced for the others. And I think Mm -hmm. that's very common for a lot of the, um, a lot of the immigration rules here in the U.S. Right. I think one thing that I'm not surprised, like, it's like, you know how when during the past election people were comparing Biden and Trump talking about, like, Trump doing all these inhumane things to migrants and immigrants but you know biden does the same and so did obama right i think it's just that the media Mm -hmm. kind of fixates on things and puts them out of proportion sort of because remember i think when we were younger we all thought that obama was Mm -hmm. like the best president ever remember yeah they were in elementary school and stuff up until like middle school and we were like oh like we're so sad he's gone that trump has to take Mm -hmm. his place or something but then as you get older you realize that that's not true and that he's also done many questionable things and 
Yeah, mm-hmm. same with Biden. I feel like, I mean, people were cheering for Trump to leave, which is understandable. <laughs> you know, like, Biden's still not, obviously not perfect. And there's certain things that are kind of, I don't want to say unexpected. Once again, just questionable, even though he's still painted, I guess, as, like, what a golden child would be like, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think, especially as... I honestly, yeah, I would say as you get older, you start to realize there's no good guys in this game of politics. Yes. But even despite people's ages these days, it's still a problem within, in social media, on like mainstream media too as well, promoting this villain and the hero. Yeah, I mean, that's what gets... The attention of the citizens, right? Pitting certain people against each other, painting them in, I guess, better versus more, quote, evil lights, right? Like we did for... I mean, like, this is basically what happened during the presidential elections all the time. Mm -hmm. Depending on the news source, of course. Yeah. I think stories like this just kind of support... Not support, but, like, it just shows to me that Although during the election season, people are like, oh, like, especially Democrats, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, we, su- and even Republicans, like, we support immigrants, you know, like, this is a America, like, we're a free country, and, like, we're yeah. this melting pot of things, and, like, specifically people who were uh, rooting for Biden were like, oh, like, saying Trump is anti-immigration and whatnot, and kind of that that was like a huge talking point during election season yes. is immigration and you know like there's nothing wrong with that because immigration is a big thing in america like yep that's a fact but when it like once biden got elected it's like it all went away like people Wait, don't really promises? care yeah like people i think yeah, it's, just it's like not even the, the promises people just di- like not even talking about the politicians like mm-hmm. people just didn't care anymore Mm-hmm. And it just shows that people really don't care as much about migrants as they say they do. Yeah, I think that's a valid point to make. Like, in the elections, everyone was comparing, like, oh, Trump was so anti-immigration, and if we usher Biden in, then something will change, right? That was, I think, the gist a lot of mm-hmm. people got, especially, like, left-wing, like, People supporting left-wing politics, right? They're like, oh, if we usher Biden in, then we're not going to export immigrants for no reason. Like, that kind of thing, right? Like, we'll yeah. try to, like, help them as best as we can. But obviously, ever since Biden got sworn in, nothing exactly has been happening. So it just kind of tells you that there's just a lot of mismatch between what people think about and what they say they'll do versus what Mm -hmm. they actually do and what they actually think yeah and one thing is like this perception i was like i saw this girl on tiktok who was like Mm -hmm. you know how in asian countries there's a lot of words like expat oh it's a expat school meaning there's a lot of specifically american adults who moved there and like now their kids grow up there but they're still I think they're still they're still a considered American citizens, mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, they're also migrant workers. But there's just this wording, 
like the semantics about it is just so crazy to me that like people who come into this country are always called immigrants or migrant workers but for anywhere else americans who go into other countries we refer to them as expats it's just like the connotation that's so different between those two words there's also i think we can say that there's a lot of like racial ethnic bias when it comes to using those two words as well yeah, Especially like between true. countries, like I mean, I mean, America, sure, freedom, whatever you want to claim, but and at the end of the day, it's quite a racist country. So yeah, like say if someone moved from, um, uh, say India to China to work, right? They'd be mm-hmm. called immigrants. But if someone moved from America to China to work, they'd be called expats. You know, and generally they're also wealthier. Like yeah. that's the connotation. Mm-hmm. Because we also have this belief that people who leave America are already wealthy. Yeah, because the general belief is that people who come to America are the ones that are seeking success and wealth compared to what they had in their home country. Yeah. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's like this perception and public image that like we can't live without but also is you know making us more divided yes because like you can't avoid this situation yeah that's true like we always like no matter what we say like oh you know like people should vote the policies vote this and that but like we're humans you know and also representation does matter to an extent mm-hmm and I think it's this balance between image and policy that, you know, I think needs to be better, that America needs to get to, Yep, in my opinion. Yeah, I think so too. If you guys want to read more about this, you guys can check out the recent New York Times article uh, about Title 42. Cool. So our next story of the day is that Major League Baseball players fundraise for staff during the lockout. So for the first time in about 27 years, Major League Baseball canceled their season games due to disagreement between the owners and the players. Although this is not quite a strike, a lockout can be used to hold power over negotiations for the CBA, or which is the collective bargaining agreement. A lockout happens when the owners prohibit the league from moving forward with anything without reaching a new CBA. So basically, not only will games not happen, the players also aren't allowed to use the team facilities, and there are no signings or trades allowed, and the players will not be paid. But it's not just the players that lose out, it's also the owners that get no revenue from the stadium games that also face backlash from fans, etc. But going back to this lockdown, the biggest factor is that the players are quite unhappy with their salaries. According to the AP, the average player's salary has been decreasing in the past few years. And the cause of this is actually something called the luxury tax. And basically, the MLB taxes any team whose total player salary is above $210 million. The MLB owners negotiated by offering an increase to $220 million, but that will only stay from next year until 2024 which is in reality like one to two years and on the other side the players wanted an increase to 238 million dollars for 2022 
and then $250 million for 2024. Additionally, the negotiations regarding money are also happening for bonuses and general salary expectations. Another big factor is drafting, so both sides have agreed on altering their amateur draft process. The players want to increase the number of teams in the lottery to avoid the practice of a team losing to get a better draft pick, and both sides also want to expand the postseason, but the players are asking for a 14-team playoff while the owners are looking for a 12-team one instead. But regardless of the problems between the players and the owners, a lot of workers are also facing troubles. And with no paycheck, stadium staff such as janitors, concession crews, and more will struggle. Therefore, the players' union opened up a fund of about $1 million to support the workers. Right now, it's not an impasse, but it is a deadlock. But if negotiations turn up fruitless, it is likely that the players' association will sue the MLB for unfair labor practices moving the issue into court. The next negotiation is actually today, March 6th, so we'll see how that goes. Everybody is losing. <laughs> I know. Oh my I gosh. It's always a lose-lose situation, but there's, like, at the end of the day, the biggest losers are the workers because... Yep. You know, MLB players and owners, they're like millionaires. They own you know, so like much money. One season will not, like, for the majority, will not hurt them. Yeah, they're just like, they just want to increase, right? But then, I guess, yeah. Like, the impact on the workers is something that we don't super think of, we don't always think about, right? But it's really mm -hmm. true because, oh, um, workers. Like, the concession stands and stuff won't get to make money. And I think there's a lot of schools that fundraise through those concession mm. stands, too. Like, our high school did. I had to do a few of them. Oh, really? Yeah, I had to do a few of them my sophomore year, I think. Oh. Either sophomore or junior year. No, it was my junior year. Yeah. But, yeah, I had to do a few of those. And I think that's how our student council paid for some events at our school. For example, like, dances. Oh, just did it make a lot of money? I don't remember. I don't. I honestly don't know how much it was, but I think they did that just so then they can lower the price of like prom tickets or something because tickets are like a hundred bucks each, right? So yeah, yeah. I don't know. So it also affects other people besides the ones mm -hmm. that actually work in the stadium, you know, like schools and students and things like that. Yeah. And, like, I feel like it's so uncomplicated for... Okay, so when I was, like, doing research for this article, right, I was confused. I thought the ML... Like, I didn't know MLB... Like, when we refer to the MLB, they're not the players. They're the owners. The MLBPA are the players. Player and they have their own union, while the owners have their own board. Mm -hmm. So, like, at the end of the day, the owners obviously are the ones with power, but... They're the ones who decide lockouts, but players can obviously decide the strikes. Right, because, I mean, they're the ones that are actually playing, right? So if there's no players, then there's no MLB. Yeah, and it's just a little... I know, obviously, in this case, like, compared to strikes of factory workers, mm -hmm. there are, like, you know, a few hundred thousand bucks in your salary. Like, that compared to... Uh, factory workers whole 
you know, living situation. They're two completely different situations. But it does just show that, you know, like, people, like, these owners are just so greedy because the, you know, the MLB still rakes in a lot of money. Baseball is still very popular. Even if they increased, I'm pretty sure even if they increased, like, the salary of the players to, what, 238 million or like 250 or whatever they'd still probably break in loads of money there's so many people out here paying thousands of dollars for tickets for baseball games to get to like front seats and stuff because they're avid fans and there's like a ton of them across the country like you're probably still making so much fucking money from all this yeah and like keeping the salary cap at 220 like one is just saying like that's basically saying if I raise your salary, if I'm working at a place and my boss told me, oh, you, yeah, you can ask for more money, but if you ask for more money, I'll tax you more. Which is so, like... A weird concept. Like, I, I don't know. I, yeah, that's such a weird like, concept Like, I understand taxing because... No, but, like, this is even not even the government taxing. Not, this yeah, is exactly. Your, the it's own not government taxing. Yeah, so then, I mean, if it were to say, like, oh, the government is making us, like, tax because you guys are making too much money, then I'd be a little more understanding. But it's just the league themselves that are saying, hey, you don't get to make this much money, and we're going to tax you for your raise that you earned. Right. Yeah. And, like, you know, like we said, there's a... 2 to 3% inflation rate every single year and keeping it at 220 million not only are the salary decreasing right because like if you stay at a place you you like you're supposed to get raises not just like okay realistically you're not going to get the raise that always hits past inflation but at least you get a raise yeah and like these people like in general would not even be getting a raise because it's hitting 220 at like for 2 years yep I think this also applies Which to regular workplaces too, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Or there are like so many workplaces that cap their I think someone my mom said that someone in her office got like a raise for a cent. <laughs> a cent? Or like a oh dollar. My I don't God. remember. Either a dollar or a cent and I was like Imagine you go, Thank no you so much boss way. for giving me a dollar. Regardless of this, like there I feel like there's definitely more awareness of like Knowing when you you are underpaid and, like, not accepting certain restrictions, especially yeah. in the younger generation. Mm-hmm. I remember there was, there's a lot of talk about comparing salaries, mm-hmm. uh, especially in, like, the workforce. I, I don't know much about, like, the Major League Baseball salary enough to talk about that, but in terms of regular corporation workplace, there's some companies that say oh don't talk about your salary but the thing is i think a lot of workers do now or a lot of employees do now and that's yeah. how they find out that their counterparts or some of their counterparts are paid a lot more than they to get paid and so they talk to management and stuff and they're actually able to get a raise because you know that's super unfair so mm-hmm. yeah especially so like big corporations you know yeah, it's not yeah, like yeah. they don't have the money yeah they exactly they do so there's just a lot more awareness and willingness to talk about salaries, like fair salaries in the workplace now. 
if you guys want to read some more about the whole lockout situation, you can head on to NPR and read the article about this. Last but not least, we have our third story. So there, this is more of a general story. A lot of artists have been getting hit with a lot of like crediting and copyright lawsuits. And I know there's some big ones, but there are also some like small ones that, you know, you just don't hear of as much. So for some reason, and when I say some reason, it's not random. There are definitely <laughs> good amount <laughs> of factors. <laughs> a lot of uh, there's been a lot of artist accusations for songs that they put out, especially the big artists, right? Mm-hmm. The foremost example is Dua Lipa's famous song "Levitating," which is being accused of ripping off another song called "Live Your Life." The article Sound System, who uh, produced "Live Your Life," released their song in 2017 and claimed that Dua Lipa's lyrics are significantly sim- similar to their song's uh, chorus line. I got you. Well, I'm not gonna sing it. Oh, yeah. like, okay. <laughs> Um, and they took this to court and are asking for compensation through shares of profit for levitating because you know levitating probably rakes in a lot of streaming, money. Uh, yeah, yeah, streaming money. Yeah, has it been settled yet or no? No. So these are all ongoing lawsuits. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Sam Smith and Normani are being sued over the song "Dancing with a Stranger," and wait till you hear this one. Three songwriters, Jordan Vincent, Christopher Miranda, and Roscoe Banlow, are accusing the duo for copying their song, Dancing with Strangers. That was the name of the original song. And they claim that the chorus, the beats, and the music video are similar. The original song was actually submitted to a label, and the label had uh, the record label had told them that they were interested in it for an artist, but the deal eventually fell through. So that song was out in the open, basically. Dancing with strangers versus dancing with a stranger. That's, uh, I mean, if they actually did copy, that's such a shit way of copying. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, if you're trying to get away with it, then just fucking do it better. You know? Just don't do it at all. And finally, we leave Drake, who has been sued again for God knows how many times. Because I like, I think he's been sued for multiple things multiple times. Yeah, I think so. Has um, in this case, it's over in my feelings and nice for what? This case is actually the third time the producer Samuel Nicholas claims credit because his song was sampled on Drake's song and also a few other songs that Drake's producer had written for other artists. And uh, however, Drake's producer claims that they both sampled from an older song, uh, back in the nineteen eighties. Uh, yeah, an older hip-hop duo from 1980s. So the first two times, the two lawsuits that Samuel Nicholas made fell apart because, uh. or like, it was dismissed before he could begin mm-hmm. litigation. Mm-hmm. But this is the third time. They say third time's a charm. <laughs> and we know, like, having ownership over what you write and what you produce is super important for artists and for creatives as well because you know intellectual property especially shown in taylor swift's like legal fiasco over her own songs that were sold yep but at this point like a lot of the issues go around sampling you know like yeah for sure i guess this is getting into the analysis but lots of people keep saying the music industry has been decreasing in quality 
in the past few decades. And the big reason that people say that, like, the big reason I think people say that is because of a lot of the current songs are constantly sampling older, more known songs from, like, older generation, you know? Yeah. I think that applies specifically to more mainstream music, because I know there's, like, mm-hmm. indie artists that hopefully are creating and writing their own songs and their own melodies and stuff. Remember that whole Good For You fiasco with Olivia Rodrigo? And yeah. Yeah, people said that she copied off Paramore for one of their songs. And I don't... Like song lyrics? No, not song lyrics. It was the melody or the chorus she sang with Paramore's bass guitar in their song. And mm. the beat was very similar. And mm-hmm. I think the notes might have been similar too but i don't quite remember i think she might have lost that battle but i don't remember there's also the whole ariana grande and seven rings thing and she had to sign away like a lot of the profits i mean hers was like low-key blatant like blatant copying for ariana grande yeah i mean (laughs) the seven rings thing i feel like hers was different because like she acknowledged it like she was like yeah that's true that's true yeah and like i think that that one's a little a little different from other ones, but at True. the same time, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, I don't know if Olivia Rodrigo's situation was a lawsuit or if she just paid. I don't know. Yeah, but I, I heard fi- this. Oh yeah. Hmm? No go. Oh, but I heard this argument um, online saying that it's kind of hard to produce new music now just because music has been around for such a long time, and they said that there's going to be some overlap when it comes to mm-hmm. artists creating their own new stuff versus old stuff, if that makes sense. Which, I mean, I think that applies to a certain degree, but, like, it's also... I mean, it's okay to take inspiration, but you just can't, you know, copy and not give credit when yeah, it's credit. blatantly not your own product, right? Yeah. And I think with the sampling thing, right, like, mm-hmm. it's, I understand, like, why, because a lot of the songs that people sample nowadays are, like, from the 1990s, or maybe the 2000s, and the 1980s, and I feel like, for some reason, that generation is, like, people say that's kind of the highlight of, the height of music, like, mm-hmm. of current mainstream pop music. But, you know, there's always going to be this golden age, no matter, like, when what industry, in what timeline. People always look back to something as a golden age without realizing maybe sometimes we are in our own golden age. But it's, like, impossible to tell. I mean, like, you can't tell, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. There's, like, situations, like, now, like, in terms of, like, world history and shit, where we know already that we're living through some a push F you, RQs, yeah, you know, but in terms of like cultural things, yeah, it's like really hard to tell whether we're living through just something very average or some kind of height, a complete shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I wish I I low key wish um, you know that TikTok song that blew up um that sampled um a Beethoven song. 
Oh, yeah. That thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was like, now that I think about it, I think it'd be really cool if uh, I, more artists sampled classical songs. Mm. Like the beat of the classical song and made a twist on it. I think that is, that would be something like cool to explore considering like sampling is like very common in songs nowadays, like no matter what, like it's very hard. But you to can't pay your dead composers. If you sample from them. Yeah, that too. <laughs> but, you know, it's more... Would it be, I mean, it'd be an interesting idea. twist. Yeah, interesting twist. I mean, it's also yeah. about, like, Well, no, copyright rules, like, once the owner dies, like, past 70 years or 60 years. Yeah, well, free. I mean, Beethoven was, like, when? Dead for a while. <laughs> yeah, dead for a very long time, so... I think there could be a lot of potential overlap between classical music and... And when I say classical, I don't mean classical period, but, like classical music and mainstream music yeah because i was reading like there's a lot of like a lot of like pop and rap and r&b and like what i call mainstream music right i feel like they look down on classical music because it's not as fun or whatnot but classical music also looks down on mainstream music for because it's not like um, not musically intellectual yeah, and also not traditional. I feel like there's some stuff about, like, uh, classical music. Like, oh, it's the old music. It's the good music. It's the traditional music. That's why it's good. It's like that whole kids these days mentality, right? With classical music versus more modern, popular music. Well, if you guys want to read more, you guys can check out. There's a lot, like, uh, a lot of articles from Rolling Stones, Entertainment Weekly, and Billboard. Those are our three stories for the day. But before we leave you, we still have our Sunday snippet into the past. On March 6, 1899, the German company Bayer uh, officially patents aspirin, which is now one of the most common drugs in in everybody's household so i know we we're just talking about copyright issues and patent things i think patent might be a little different but you know intellectual property is still yeah extremely relevant they get um similar idea between the two yeah anyway thank you guys so much for listening and have a great sunday